0: I asked a, a, a special guest, who's my dad, to come and preach a sermon to you today. I'm, I'm going to go and I need to hang out with the kids ministry for a little bit, just because like I love kids and like I'm their pastor too, and you' all see me a lot, and, like I don't know if you'd love that or not. But I man, the kids, I want to meet your kids, I love kids' ministry. Pastor Aaron and her team and Tammy have done a terrific job in there today.) Yeah. I had a funny thing happen. I went in there and I'm just like high-fiving all the kids. I'm like, this is incredible. That w- Listen, church when I was a kid wasn't fun. Yeah. And we're like, it's a sin if church isn't fun for kids. Like, that's how we think about it now. Like, yeah, it's a sin because Jesus is awesome. And so I went in there today and I, I go over there. And, and first of all, Sawyer wouldn't let me leave without giving me something to keep. And I'm like, thank you for his craft. I'm like, thank you. And then he hands me some licorice in there. And I'm like, is this for me? And he's like... No, open it for me. (laughs) Then I opened all the candy for everybody. And so anyways, it was awesome. Come on, Pastor Richard. My dad is retired now, but he's still working. And so thank you for preaching the sermon today. He's preaching about stubbornness. So if you get mad today, at least you're not mad at me. So I'm going to have a great day.
1: Great God. Thank you, Pastor Corey. So awesome. We get the partner in the ministry and, uh, I'm glad that he's leaving for a few minutes because I have a lot of content here. And so we'll get what we can out of the first service and then we'll continue in the afternoon service and then we'll conclude in the evening service. Y'all you okay? Yeah. You're laughing, but you're not amenning. There's a difference. I sure appreciate Pastor Cory, you know, he's uh, come a long ways and uh, uh, from when he was a kid, he was a most stubborn kid. I think he got it from his mom. No doubt about that. (laughs) And, um, but I don't know if her mom, his mom got it from my dad because my dad was a very stubborn man and I got some of that. Uh, Thanks, Sean. I sure appreciate you there on the keyboard. Sure. appreciate going with uh, a, a lot of you to the conference this week too. And, uh. Uh, and I know a number of you are here, you were here in the first service and you didn't get delivered. So you're here for the second service. I, that's how, why you come back, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to help you deal with stubbornness in your life. Um, my dad was a stubborn man. And uh, I think I got something from him because I, I, I started going to church, you know, when I was a, an infant. So from three years old, I was getting taught in the church. It took me till 23 to get saved. That's what you call stubborn. And you may not think about it. You may just have failed to be led in the right way. But there is a stubbornness that begins to accumulate in your life. It's like a calcium in your life. And uh, it gets a hold of you. And you hang on, you hang on, you hang on. You resist God. That's what really it is. It's a resistance against God. So we want to continue to talk about uh, in this fifth of Pastor Corey's uh, series on resilient, Uh We want to talk about how to get over our stubbornness and get into faithfulness. It's a time we need to make a transition. The power of turning stubborn into faithfulness is in your hand. It's up to you to make a decision. God has given us a mind, a will, He's given us a choice. But we need to come to Him. If we don't come to Him, He's going to find us where we are, and He's going to take us down. So that we can become faithful. So that he can use us to fulfill our destiny. He's called us to be a people of faith. And we cannot. Faithfulness and stubbornness don't coexist. It's impossible for them to coexist. So I was stubborn. And I'm sure a lot of that came down to Pastor Corey. And, but I've, I've found over the years that the, the thing to do with stubbornness. Don't despair. Don't give up. But turn that stubbornness into faithfulness. God will help you do it. That's why I'm going to encourage you get over to the prayer room. If you have a, any kind of stubbornness about anything in your life, get over there and let people help you. It's like um, getting, getting, getting delivered from something you may not even, you may not even know you have. So uh, don't be afraid. Just go over there and get it. My earliest recollect, rec, recollection of church culture was a culture of stubbornness. We didn't realize it at that time. We just thought this is what church, this is what it's like. And we're stup- stubborn about all kinds of things. We were stubborn about baptism. We, we had the same church, uh, the same kind of church over across town that would preach that if you came from our church to that church, you had to be rebaptized because our baptism was not good enough. <laughs> so they put us in a box. So if you decided to go, and a lot of people didn't go because you did, they didn't want to get rebaptized. Okay, that was church culture. It was just a stubborn thing. They hung on to what they had, and we hung on to what we had. And then, another thing that, uh, that I heard from a, from a very young young guy. You know, all of our pastors used to be lay ministers, and they all preached without pay. And so, when they start paying some of the pastors for their work at preaching the gospel, which the Bible says we should be doing, is paying those who bring us the gospel. They said, oh, the church has gone to the dogs now. We're going to have to pay that pastor. So, um... Corrie just received his, Pastor Cory just received his last paycheck. <laughs> just, you, you know? Because we've got to get back to the original, which didn't work. Okay, we had the practice of communion in those days. And, and uh, we would have communion. It's like going to a funeral. Everybody's, uh, you know, you had to be a certain age or you didn't qualify. And everybody came there with a long, dragged-out mouth, you know, as if your, your look's Uh, enabled you to receive more from god and but it was terrible our few our communion service was joyful wasn't it we're celebrating something good that christ has died for us that he's given us life and then worship worship we had certain um, boxes for worship we started with an organ and if you had anything other than an organ in church you definitely were tied to the devil (laughs) When we got a piano oh what an uprising in the church we can't have that we're going to the dogs now for sure we how can you worship with a piano and we didn't even mention guitars again that was real evil so you know renee you wouldn't even be allowed in church if you even at home if you played it that was dangerous my mother played guitar so i wasn't so afraid of that one but uh you know we had all of these laws and then Drums. If you had drums, you definitely were involved in serious voodoo, and uh, so you're not going to even going to heaven if you have drums in your f- church. What happened to my? I might I might have to rely on the Bible. <laughs> here we go. Oh, here. Oh, there we go. I don't know what happened. You touch the wrong thing on these things. I can touch my Bible all I like, and it just agrees with me. Yeah. so concerning worship i went to psalm 150 one day even when i was i was young, a young kid i went to psalm 150 and i read something about worship in the bible about praise praising god in the bible just changed my life about what i understood about it this is what it says in psalm 150 starting with verse 1 Well, we read the whole song it talks about praise 13 times in a few six verses it's this is what it says praise the lord Praise God in his sanctuary, that's here. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts, that's what he does. Praise him according to his excellent greatness, that's for what he is, who he is. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Doo, 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 doo. Boy, that would be terrible in, in my early church. <laughs> Praise him with a lute and a harp. Wow, that would be amazing. Praise him with a timbrel and a dance. Wow, you're getting crazy. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. You can play that electric guitar. Yeah. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with flashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Listen, if you can draw one more breath, you are commissioned to praise the Lord. However you want to praise the Lord, whatever it says in the Bible. So don't be stubborn about it. We were so stubborn about those things. They just totally hung the church up. You know, religious and stubborn people don't build a life-giving church. They don't. So we've got to get over that. And we've got to submit ourselves to the Lord. You know, I have a photo of you. All of you who are stubborn. I got your photo. You, you, it did it, I did it in secret. But you don't know it yet. You want to see the photo of you being stubborn? That's it, folks. That's what you look like. That's what you look like when you're stubborn. Okay? Like a tortoise. You know, you're, you're, there's no place to retreat except within yourself when you're stubborn. So you tr- retreat within your shell. You can't see except a little bit straight ahead. You can't see to the side. You can't, nobody can get through the shell. And there's very little movement. Well, we're going to talk about getting rid of that image today. Pastor Corey talked last week about two resilient women, Mary and Elizabeth. They both said yes to God. And he challenged us to say yes. And many people went over to the prayer corner after the service, and they said yes to God in a new way. And we have got need to continue to do that. This is not a one-time thing. Get over there, get over there, get over there, and keep saying yes to God. And today I'm going to talk about three stubborn men. And I hope if you have some vestige of stubbornness in you, I hope you'll see yourself in one of these three men so that we can uh, start to get delivered from our own stubbornness. Today, I'm so glad that the prayer team is over, in the, over in, the, in the other room there. Wait till we get to our new building. We've got a nice room for prayer there. And it's going to be awesome. And uh, they're supporting what's happening here in the church right now, in the service right now. So I, I praise God for the people who are praying for us to receive this message. Okay, today I'm going to share about three stubborn men, how God had to deal with them to say yes. God can deal with us in many different ways. Whatever we need, he'll do to get us over that stubbornness and turn us into resilient believers with faithfulness in our hearts. Okay. I'm going to talk about Jacob, the man who was called a a man of a father of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fathers of faith. You want to be a person of faith. You've got to emulate them, got to deal with whatever they had to deal with in their lives so that they could actually come into their destiny as a person of faith. I'm going to talk about Jonah, the prophet that was like unto Jesus. Some of us have this ministry, this prophet, this, this, uh, this name. We have a placards that we wear. This is who I am in, in the Lord. But there's a stubbornness in us like there was in Jonah. And God has to deal with that so that he can be, become an effective worker through us to the world. Then I'm going to talk about Saul of Tarsus, a religious fanatic just like you, just like me, stubbornly following his own opinions. But I've changed, thank God. He's, he took a long time. For for, To change me from stubbornness into faithfulness and he can do it with any of us. So let's get ready Let's hear what God will tell us through these people first. I want to talk a little bit about about Jacob Jacob was called his name means trickster. He's a supplanter. He wants to he replaces somebody when he's born get this image He's a twin he's he follows his brother out of the womb and when he comes out of the womb he's got his hand on his brother's heel Okay, he's trying to hold him back so that he can get ahead. That's what, that's Jacob's life. And where did he get that from? Well, he probably got some of this from his his DNA, from his mother. Because his father, Isaac, loved Esau, the firstborn, his twin. But his mother loved him because he liked to stay in houses and he liked to do the cooking and baking and stuff. And uh, he was a little mama's boy. And she favored him, so she did everything she could to give him an advantage. So she heard Isaac, the father, talking about giving the blessing to Esau because he was getting old. His eyes were dim. Actually, he lived for over 20 years after this, but his eyes were dimmed. He was very weak. Can you imagine? He couldn't even see which son was in front of him. That's how bad his eyes were. So uh, his uh, mother heard heard him talking about uh, giving the blessing to Esau. So she connives with Jacob. She had, had this stubborn spirit. She says, I'm going to give my favorite son the blessing of the father. So she came against her husband. She came against the culture. She came against what was acceptable in that time for the people of Israel. And so she maneuvered so that Jacob could could get the uh, blessing. He already had stolen the birthright from his brother. Now she was going to get him the blessing from the father. But but uh, you know it sort of backfired on them because Esau found it, heard up, heard about it he found out about it, and he determined he's going to put him he was going to uh, take him down. Okay, he, was, he just had her in, in his heart from that moment forward. So um, so Rebecca arranges for Jacob to, to uh, journey over to her her brother's uh, land Laban. And to find some security there. So as he's journeying, he has an encounter with God, where there was a connection between earth and heaven with a ladder. And God shows him the principle of success, and that principle was tithing. And he said, "If everything God gives to me, I'll give Him a tenth. And God began to bless him supernaturally, abundantly, so that when he came to his uh, uncle Laban's place, his where he where he lived, he everything that he touched prospered in his uncle Laban's saw that so he stubbornly contrived to have Jacob continue to live with him so that his wealth would grow greater he'd become a greater man now this laban had two daughters and Jacob fell in love with the younger one the older one had uh, very pretty eyes but the younger one had pretty everything else and so he went for the everything else because that's what men are drawn to everything else yeah the eyes there They're okay, but everything else is nicer. (laughs) And so he went for the younger daughter, and he made an agreement with his uncle that he would work for the younger daughter for seven years. Can you imagine, guys, working for seven years to get a wife? I was in Uganda one time. My good friend, Pastor Ram, he was talking to me about, you know, what they do there to get their wives, and and they have to get this, uh, what do they call it? dowry yeah yeah he said we give cows and uh it's good to give cows for a wife you know you have a good wife you might give five cows you might give ten cows and he says he turns to me and he said how many cows did you give i said none i said look how small she is she's not even worth one cow we don't we don't do cows but jacob that was his dowry he had to work seven years then they have a big celebration he's going to get married they have this feast and they drink all this dandelion wine and, and he goes to bed. He's not knowing what he's doing going to bed. And he gets in bed with the wrong woman. Well, his father contrived that because he's stubborn. And he had to do things culturally and according to their, their human law, which you don't give the second daughter before the first. So he wakes up in the morning. Here he's got the girl with the pretty eyes in bed. And so he's frustrated. He goes to his uncle and says, what happened? I made an agreement for Rachel. You gave me Leah. His uncle says, oh, well, you work for me for seven more years, and I'll give you Rachel, too. No. Can you imagine that? And then after he did that, he was, he was okay. He, he did. He, he, was, he had a good stewardship. He was a faithful man in that sense. But you see, faithfulness and stubbornness cannot coexist. Think about that. If you want faithfulness, you can't entertain stubbornness. They don't coexist. Stubbornness is of something of the flesh. Faithfulness is something of the spirit. And the spirit and the flesh don't mingle. It's like water and oil. So anyway, he worked. Uh, he worked for his second wife. Then he worked six more years to get flocks and herds and get some abundance, you know. And and after that twenty years, he he gets a word from God. You go back to your homeland. I've got to bring you to your inheritance because you're called. He was called because of Abraham and Isaac. He was called to fulfill God's. Um, God's role in him, a man of faith, a father of faith, that's your inheritance. He had to go back to the land. So as he was going back to the land to receive his inheritance, uh, his, his uncle had, was out shearing the sheep. He didn't know he left. He left in the night and he took off and, and uh, began to travel. And his uncle finds out about it and chases him. But Jacob didn't realize that before they left, Rachel had stolen the family idols out of her father's house and taken them with her and put them in her saddlebags in a camel's saddlebags. And J- Jacob didn't realize that. That probably represented the stubbornness of that family that Laban had, that Jacob's mother had, and that was trying to get a hold of Jacob, probably already had a hold of Rachel. Okay, so she takes these, and as they go, they travel, and they're about to meet uh, Jacob's brother Esau. And uh, he's terrified, of course, because uh, he vowed, Esau vowed to kill him. So he's terrified. So what he does for safety's sake, he sends all his animals and and the servants. He sends them ahead to greet Esau and appease him. And meanwhile, he takes his, his two wives, his two concubines that he had by now and 11 sons, and he put them across the brook Jabbok. Note that they went across the brook. That is water. He put them across because somehow he felt that the water would separate them. Now, just think about it. How easy would it be for, if, if the women and children went over there, if for Esau with his army to go over there and get them? But somehow he had a sense in his heart that that water would be a protection from him. But, so he sent them across, and then he, he, he remained alone in the camp that night. Listen what happens. Genesis, Genesis chapter 32, verse 23. Jacob and God wrestle. Jacob took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Father's blessing was not enough. He needed God's blessing to fulfill his destiny, to be a man of faith and he said you need to bless me i'm not letting you go so they fought all night can you imagine having a fight with god you think you can win okay you can fight god will fight with you we say well he's a he's a gentleman he'll fight with you to get you out of your stubbornness and into faithfulness he will fight with you because you've got to represent him and his holiness and his faithfulness so so he fought with him and and he said to him what is your name and he said jacob and he said, "To your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed." So he, they had a battle, and so uh, right at the break of dawn, after they'd been fighting all night, can you imagine how strong a man Jacob was, how stubborn that he could fight with God all night long, and he couldn't—God pre- couldn't prevail against him for all night long. He hung on to that stubbornness, hung on and hung on until the break of day, when God touched his hip joint, where he felt some pain, and, and that caused him to give in. And it's interesting, the Bible says, Jacob walked with a limp all his life. As some of you, maybe you have come in here with a limp, some of you might go out with a limp, to remind you that God will prevail over you, to fulfill your destiny, your call that he has for you, to walk in faith. And faithfulness with him. Now look what happened immediately after. They had the battle and God changed his name. Like he changed Abraham's name. He changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed um, Jacob's name to Israel. Because Israel means prince with God. And he wanted him to be his prince. Now uh, Jacob, he finally gets God's blessing. He gets a name change. He surrenders his stubborn self-will. And he becomes the prince of God. Then, after this. After this, Jacob gains favor with Esau. No problem. It was a nice meeting. He removes, oh, Jacob removes all of Laban's family idols. He said, get rid of the family idols to begin to recognize there was something that was hounding them. That was, uh, in, in, that was uh, affecting their lives. Maybe there's something hounding you. It's not your fault. Maybe it's your family DNA. You don't know where it came from. I don't know where my father's stubbornness came from. Probably from persecution. So, that thing came to me. I had to deal with it over, over all these years that have served God. So, he removed fa- uh, Laban's family idols. Then, the nations began to fear him. Every place he went, all the nations were afraid of him. Because God put the fear, uh, fear of God on those nations. Because now, uh, Jacob was starting to flow in faithfulness. Then God appears to him and confirms to Abraham a covenant. Same covenant he gave to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and you'll be fruitful and multiply, and your, your descendants will be like the, 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 the sand on the seashore. That same covenant. Then Rachel give, dies giving birth to Benjamin. I'm just always wondering why Rachel died at that time. She had the 12th son of Jacob. And of course, Jacob, you know, was the father of the 12 tribes. I just wondered if Rachel just never, ever gave up that stubbornness and eventually it killed her which she, as she was giving birth to her youngest son, Benjamin. So Jacob began to see that stubbornness cannot coexist with faithfulness. I want to challenge you with that today. And I want to state to you today that stubbornness and faithfulness cannot coexist because one is of the flesh and one is of the spirit. Give up the flesh. Don't give up the spirit. Give up the flesh and f- begin to flow with God. Secondly, I want to talk a little bit about Jonah, God's prophet. Starting to read from Jonah, chapter 1. should read that whole book. Go home tonight and read it. It's four chapters. Take you less than 30 minutes. Amazing story. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. You know, Nineveh was a terrible city. The, the people, there were so cruel. They, they, they had the most cruel um, uh, punishment for all their, their slaves and, and their, their captives. Assyrian city um, of Nineveh. Terrible wickedness. And God saw the wickedness jonah also was very aware of the wickedness god saw the wickedness needed to be dealt with with mercy jonah thought the wickedness needed to be dealt with with judgment because okay. he had there was something about jonah he had a stubborn heart it says this but jonah when he gets the word from god to go and preach he ro- arose to flee to tarshish from the presence of the lord he went down to joppa and found a ship going to tarshish so he paid the fare went down into it To go with him into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He could have gone to Caesarea, which is close to Nazareth, where he came from. But he goes down the coast where nobody knows him. And he can come and posture and parade and just pretend he's just an ordinary traveler. And he pays the fare. You see, if you don't do what God says, you may save yourself a 500-mile walk to go on a 2,000-mile boat cruise. But you've got to pay the fare. And if you do what God wants you to do, he will pay the fare. But he chose even to pay the fare because he was resistant against God's idea of giving repentance to those people. So his stubbornness puts puts everybody in peril. Listen to what it says. He he decided the cruel Assyrians did not deserve forgiveness. He knew God would be merciful, so he went the other way. And as soon as he got on that ship to go the other way, a great storm arose. If you persist in stubbornness, there's going to be a storm in your life. And you'll go from storm to storm to storm all your life if you don't give up the stubbornness. Today's a great day to say, Lord, let this this be delivered from me. Let this seed, even if I don't know where it came from, I don't know uh, the power of it yet. But let it be removed from me. Get help. Get over to the prayer corner. Get help. The stubbornness put everybody in peril. It affects everybody around us. All these sailors who were pagans, they threw their cargo overboard just to try to save their lives. Then they find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He's so exhausted from his emotional resistance against God, he's, he's just comatose. And finally, they find him there, and they bring him up, and they said, you know, we've got to find out what's the cause of this storm. Let's draw lots to, and see whose fault it is. So as they drew lots, God puts the finger on Jonah's lot. And he says, he confesses, I'm guilty. He says to them, you know, I'm the one who's guilty. And the only way you're gonna save this this ship, the only way we'll get out of this storm, is if you, why didn't he just jump into the sea? He asked them to throw him into the sea. Why not just jump in? Because that would be suicidal, which he was sort of suicidal. But he understood the authority and the principle of somebody Throwing Somebody with authority throwing you into the sea. Then it would be effective. That's the picture of baptism. But God wants us to be baptized in the water. And somebody with authority has to put us in the water. When we're stubborn. we need. To, maybe it's good to have another baptism. Let's go get. I feel like getting baptized again. Just in case there's more stubbornness. Which there probably is. I think maybe I, I should be the first one to get baptized in a new building. Let's get it cleaned up. So he said, pick, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm. Jonah needed that baptism in water to get delivered from stubbornness. He, then he gets swallowed by a fish. Can you imagine? Getting swallowed by a fish. And because Jesus said, Jonah is a prophet like unto me. It, what he's saying is, Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale to get him delivered. I was, I'm going to be three days and nights in the tomb to, in, in, the, in the earth to get you delivered so so anyway he he gets uh, swallowed by fish then the swish takes it fish takes a swish back to where he originally started from and pukes him up on the shore can you imagine i'm a prophet of god look at the sea seaweed and guts around fish guts are all over here can you imagine somebody seeing him just just running for cover because he got spit up on a, on a shore. And he, then he has to walk the 500 miles to Nineveh. Where he goes and preaches to 120,000 people. And the whole city repented. And he was trying to stop that from happening. Because of his own personal opinions and his own stubbornness. When God had a, such a great work of mercy planned for him. That's the story of Jonah. Then... Jonah goes to the east side of the city and it's a hot day and he builds himself a little shelter there. God God makes him a, um, uh, he makes a shelter and God makes him a plant. Plant comes up over his head. Must have been a nice big palm leaf over his head, giving him some shade. And then then as he's, he's still moping and grousing about all these people getting saved, you know, because he finally obeyed God the second time around and he's grousing about that. So God creates a worm to come and bite a hole in the plant so the plant dies. And see, God's in charge of the plants and the worms and everything. Then God caused a vehement east wind to come and blow. And, and, and Jonah says, oh, I, he, God comes and talks to him. He says, oh, I may as well die. That <laughs> suicidal spirit was still in him. There was that still a little bit of stubbornness in him, even though God used him to get his work done. He still needed a little more work in his life. And it's always, it's just amazing to me that for, for all the things, all the people and the things that are mentioned in the book of Jonah, all of these things, the storm that God created, the lots that were cast that fell to Jonah, the sailors who were pagans who, who recognized God is really God, the big fish who submitted to the, the command of God, the evil Ninevites who all repented, the plant that God grew and the worm and the east wind, everything was dispensed by God. The only one that would not receive it was Jonah. Every other thing submitted to God. But Jonah, the prophet, wouldn't, wouldn't submit to God. He wouldn't obey God. Now let me talk about it. maybe Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a Jonah. You know, I, I developed a message one time called, Throw Me Overboard. And sometimes we need, to, we need to have that happen to us. We need to recognize who we are and say, God, God throw me overboard. So I can get, uh, I can get restored. I want to talk a little bit about Saul of Tarsus. I only got four minutes. He's a well-schooled Pharisee. Religious. Committed to his cause. Fervent in spirit. Loved the Lord. Sort of. Fruitful. He had a good team around him. Just like all of us, right? Yeah, we're so fervent for God. But he was well-schooled in the, in the, in the uh, sect of the Pharisees. So it was a human schooling that he got. So here, he's on his road to Damascus. You all know the story of where, you know, Stephen comes and preaches to them and he says, you're the guys who killed this Jesus who, saved, who came to save you. And, and they, they killed him. They stoned him. And Saul was agreeing to this. In fact, that was his whole life and ministry, was collecting all the followers of Jesus, putting them in chains and bringing them back to be judged and some of them got killed because of that. Think of how many kids were orphaned because of Saul's ministry because he was so fervent and he was effective and he had a lot of experience in how to do this so they're on the road to damascus to destroy some more christ followers going over to damascus he's got a self-satisfied smile on his face can you just see him talking to all his buddies you know that are around him all these these uh, guys that were trained with him talking with him saying why did we ever cool that guy we put him putting into all his spouting off about this Jesus. He's just so stubborn and hard in his heart, and so he's got this he's got this big grin on his face. Until the light shone from heaven, Jesus shone his light, and he had his face in the dirt. And that's sometimes what has to happen to us when we are so proud and we're so secure in what we are doing, See, stubbornly. According to the traditions of man, we have to get our face in the dirt so that God can really talk to us. Can you imagine him laying on the road with his face in the dirt, all his his, uh, uh, hero buddies with him and wondering what on earth is going on? Okay, he's blinded. He can't say anything. He can't see anything. Just one personal encounter with Jesus changed everything. And he says, Lord, what must I do? He didn't have a committee meeting, a prayer meeting, a permission from the pastor. He he just says, Lord, what must I do? He recognized him immediately. And he knew that he, God is touching his hard heart and his stubbornness. He blinded him. That's the sign of stubbornness. And then he's taken by the hand. Can you imagine this big, powerful man who's got letters of of authority from, from all the religious leaders to go and get these Christians They take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus. How would you feel? Blind, can't see, dependent on them. And they take him not to the Ramada Inn, you know, to have a big steak and and, and shrimp dinner and play on the water slide. But they take him there. They take him to a little back room where he, he stays for three days. Can't see, didn't eat, waiting for God to move. It's where we need to go sometimes. To go alone, secluded, so that God can begin to move in our lives. Are you ready to do that? Just one personal encounter with Jesus. His public image went down the toilet. Are you ready? For your public image to go down the toilet? In a back room, somewhere, in, in, in obscurity, and God talks to a little man called Ananias, only once mentioned in the Bible, but you'll see him someday. He's the man, he's the one that changed Paul, that gave him a new name called Saul, it changed Saul and changed his name to Paul. Because he had an encounter with Jesus and got rid of that, stu- that stubbornness. He gets a visit, he gets a miracle, he gets saved. And hallelujah, he gets baptized. And I, I have a feeling that as we Get into our new building, and there's going to be an opportunity for us to get baptized. Men, some of you have been stubborn. Ladies, some of you have been stubborn. Some of you young people have been very stubborn. It's a good time to say, let me get rid of this stubbornness. let put me in the water and get me baptized so stubbornness can go along with all the old evil that's in my life. So let's do it. Let's do it. And if it takes me to go first, I'll go first because I still need that as much as anybody needs it. How about you? Are you ready to give up your stubbornness? Let's get over. I'm going to pray for you and then take a chance. Just take a chance. If you've got any of that in your life and get over there and let the prayer team help you get over that. Let them let them. It's like a baptism again. Get you uh, out of out of where you are into where God wants you to be. Turn your life around. Move moving from immovable to unstoppable from stubbornness to faithfulness, let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you today for your goodness, your love and your power, the power of your word. I wanna thank you for how you're interested in us individually and you're committed to us individually to meet us individually so that we can be free, so that we can move into our destiny that you have for us. We wanna thank you for all that you're doing today. We give you the glory for all that fruit in Jesus name, amen.